Hello and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society where we take a look at the Star Trek movies with a more critical eye. I'm Mike and today I'm used to just whoever I say my name and then other people say their names. I forget. That's not that's, that's it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't it's know. It's a little different here, I guess. I'm sorry. I forget. Okay. I forget if we did that in the last episode or not. I mean, I can say we, I'm Marcelo. Hey, I'm Marcelo. Okay. Hey, <laughs> and, and I could say hi. I'm Diego. We could we could do that from now on. Yeah, All right, let's do yeah. that. Let's yeah, do that from now that. on. Let's yeah. uh, take take some of the the pressure off. Of me. <laughs> <laughs> we should like help each other. Uh, hosts this thing like co-hosts uh, yeah. should do right yeah yes yeah, exactly yeah, that's good and today we're going to be taking a look at Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan but we're also taking a look at an episode of Star Trek the original series called Space Seed and you know some connections are more tenuous than others this one pretty freaking obvious i would say yeah it has yeah. captain yeah. kirk and spock in it uh that's the connection right <laughs> did I, did, yeah did i make it this joke last off. episode oh it doesn't have no. check off no it doesn't have check off which is weird but uh yeah okay we'll um, get to that a little bit <laughs> um so yeah i guess here's my question for you diego did you see this episode of Star Trek before you saw Wrath of Khan? Nope. I went in blind. Okay. What about you, Marcelo? I did not see this episode of Star Trek before Wrath of Khan, no. I did not either. And it kind of doesn't matter when you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll, about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think they, they, um, the movie gives enough context. So here's my question to you, Marcelo. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Space Seed? I do like the episode. I don't think it's a favorite of mine. I want to consider it like some of the best Star Trek. Although the thing that really makes it special is the fact that Khan is in it. I mean, if Khan wasn't the villain, I don't think I'd be as interested because I think uh, Ricardo Montalban as the as the Khan, he's uh, he's amazing as a villain. So, um, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a fine episode. It's good, you know. But I mean, like you alluded to before, Mike, like we said, I mean, is it? I mean, yeah, I guess it is essential to the movie because it's it because the movie is a sequel to this episode. <laughs> but I could go. You know, without seeing this episode for a while and just continue seeing the movie by itself, you know, it, it's not one of those I have to see one and the other, you know, right away. You know, you know, together it's a double feature. I don't need to do that, but uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know, but I can watch the episode and, and enjoy it like I did today. What about you, Diego? Uh, I actually think it's a really good episode. Uh, probably not one of the best episodes of Star Trek, but the character of Khan is so strong enough, like. As a as an antagonist, and just like the history that we learn a little bit about, like Earth and like the uh, I, I, bl- I think it's called the Eugenics Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of like uh, question marks and exclamation points with that aspect of it that I find really fascinating. You know, getting to delve into like Earth's alternate history for us at this point. Um, 
But, it, you know, it's, it's just not like a standout. Uh, it, it does really stand out now because of the history with Khan, um, who who is a great character, like, basically just from the get-go. It's like, oh, wow, like, that's that's a great presence from the performance and uh, the writing of that villain. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed this episode, and, you know, it's, I guess, one of my favorites, but it, that is because I've never not watched this episode without thinking about how it relates to Wrath of Khan. And I kind of feel like if I had seen this episode in a vacuum without Wrath of Khan's existence, I would not really take note of it more than any other episode. I mean, yeah, Ricardo Montalban is good and everything like that. It's, it's certainly a solid episode but there's nothing about it which you know really jumps out to me it's it's wrath of khan which kind of retroactively makes it great to me and it's also weird because like people have really sort of come to see khan as kirk's joker right Mm -hmm. and i mean that's why he shows up again in into darkness and everything like that because he's considered to be like the ultimate Star Trek villain, but I really don't think that that was the case until Wrath of Khan. You know, I mean, Kirk is Khan's Batman, but Khan is Kirk's Mr. Zaz or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, like, uh, like Clayface, what other Batman rogue can you count? Yeah. man, like, like a good <laughs> villain on his own, but like, you know, not, not someone you'd imagine to, to headline like a debut film. Like, he, he literally throws him on this planet and forgets about him, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like yeah. the whole premise of the movie. He forgot about him. So it's not exactly like he's keeping him up at night. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do still think that the episode is good. I don't, there, there's some weird stuff in it now, you know, some some 60s stuff, which, you know, doesn't quite hold up today, I think. But, you know, um, it's a... It's a, a captures a moment in time i guess i don't know yeah oh no, there's um, a there's a great bit i always love it's so hokey and cheesy because you know this this show was just like it's paper mache walls basically and so mm-hmm. when they're when con and, and kirk are fighting in like the control room or whatever i forget if it's con or kirk but one of them like they they grab one of the buttons on the control panel and they pull yeah. it out, and they just start beating the other. Oh, Kirk does it, and he starts beating <laughs> yeah. Khan with it, and that's how he beats him. And you know, just again retroactively looking at like the relationship that they'll have, like antagonistically, if that's a word, I guess. Um, it's like, oh, he defeated me before, and I want revenge. And it's like you flash back to that moment; he's just beating him with a button. <laughs> like that's not it's exactly. A, um, it's, it's like, Shakespeare. It's like a lead, yeah, it's like a lead pipe. He just Kirk just like rams. <laughs> Oh, it's so great. (laughs) But you can tell it has, like, no weight behind it or anything. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, it's it's, It's, hilarious. You know, in in, in retrospect, it's actually actually a moment I... Like, every scene they have together in Space Seed, retroactively, I think, makes Space Seed... Kind of like like what you were saying, Mike. Like, Space Seed wouldn't be Space Seed for me if it weren't for Wrath of Khan. And the moments when uh, Kirk... And Khan are together in the same room and even fighting. I'm like, oh, you know, these two are going to have like a more formidable match later. But in Space Age, you actually see them together in the same space, occupying the same area. You don't see that in Wrath of Khan, which is, you forget that sometimes. 
even yeah. though like they're facing off but it, it's good to see them in the same room physically fighting each other with like uh, a plastic you know uh, a lead pipe so <laughs> Yeah, which, uh, I mean, not to jump too far ahead to Wrath of Khan, but there actually was a scene in Wrath of Khan where they did meet face-to-face, and it was deleted. It was the scene, I mean, it's strangely enough, it's, <laughs> we, we wouldn't get maybe the most iconic moment of that movie if it weren't for this deletion, but when 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 Kirk and, and, and everybody is down on the little asteroid thing or whatever it is and you know he he calls Khan up and he's like Khan you bloodsucker and all that stuff and then Khan beams out the Genesis device you know uh-huh. and then of course you know he's like I'm going to leave you buried alive like that originally Khan was going to beam down and the two of them were going to have like a sword fight huh. or something like that and then he was going to you know whatever take the Genesis device and beam up but you might not have had Kirk saying Khan then, which is no. kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about it when we talk about it. But the fact that they're apart, you know, in, in Wrath of Khan, I think makes it work even more then because I I can't see them, especially well at at that point how old they how old they were at that point during Wrath of Khan like those two fighting sword fighting even I don't know would have been yeah would've been it, weird. it's not it's not what their conflict needed and it really is kind of like a submarine movie almost you know it's a little like hunt for red yeah. october almost uh which of course came after that but that's a, something i'm gonna relate to it anyways because i can because movies but like um i think that that builds an even more interesting conflict because they can't literally face off against each other you know only through like yeah. the monitors and uh if anything more of a testament to the filmmaking in that <laughs> Yeah, and apparently, like, they were not even on set. Like, you know, all of Kirk's lines were read by, you know, the script coordinator and stuff like that, you know, and that's what what Montalban was acting off of. It was like, you know, (laughs) as as unglamorous as you could possibly imagine, you know. So, all right. So, well, should we jump into the movie itself now? Oh, yeah, Yeah. I guess. I mean, Spacey... uh definitely a fun whenever you double bill it like i did for this rewatch um yeah it adds a little bit of weight to it and you get to see the characters age up in, in fun ways and um i'd recommend that uh if, if you're a little underwhelmed by space seed and you're like listening and watching uh for star trek stuff for the first time while you're listening to this one thank you i'm honored um <laughs> as we all are but two I, I totally understand being like really that's it uh because stick around <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would certainly recommend people watch Space Seed first. But, I mean, I guess here's an interesting thing, and just sort of to kind of get into Wrath of Khan. uh, I had one friend years ago who described uh, Wrath of Khan as like Star Trek issue zero of a comic book. Uh, And my my other friend, Max, has has often described it as like the, the perfect jumping on point for star trek because you really even though it is like a direct sequel to an, a, a specific episode of the show you really don't need to know anything about star trek going into it it has everything there for you um and i mean you, you could very easily skip over star trek the motion picture and go straight into this and it's sort of like just quintessential star trek in a lot of ways i think but i don't know i'm curious marcelo <laughs> yeah you consider this to be like one of the best movies ever made 
Absolutely. Um, and let's let's talk let's talk about that. Let's talk about my relationship with this movie because yeah. I mean I did see uh, you know the original series back when uh, new Star Trek came out, Star Trek two thousand nine, and then it wasn't until I'd say two thousand. Oh, did I see Star Trek Wrath of Khan around that time? I may have, but it didn't stick with me. It wasn't until I saw it in a theater with like a, a room full of like people who were so excited for this movie to see it on the big screen, like maybe three years after that. I want to say like 2011, 2012. So on the big screen, I was like, oh, this is incredible. And then after that, it just hit, hit me like in a way that few films do. It's like, oh, this says so much about uh, like friendship and like life and death. And like every moment like sings to me. I try to put this uh, on uh, each birthday of mine, just, just as like as just a reminder of being alive. I don't know. It's 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 a it's an important movie for me now, uh, having seen it so many times. And yeah, <laughs> I, I I talked about my relationship with, with uh, Star Trek in the intro episode, but I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan, which is funny because this movie I'd put in like my top ten of all time, and. Yeah, it's it's it has everything I love about Star Trek, its characters, and even like the the themes that uh, that Star Trek brings up too. There's all that Genesis stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of it. I mean, all of it I love, right? And a, a lot of why I love Star Trek, you know, the series of uh, the reason why I you know I'm a fan of the series is because of this movie, you know, and the themes within. So yeah, that's me in this movie. It's one of my favorites of all time. Love it. Um, yeah, that's where I am. But in a lot of ways, that kind of makes sense. I mean, when you think about like how the movie was made and everything like that, I mean, it, it is something which can work on its own and it doesn't need to be dependent on being a Star Trek fan, you know, and, and well, I mean, we'll get into that a, a bit later too. But Diego, what, what do you think about this movie? Uh, this is also one of my favorite movies. This is probably one of the best movies, like, period. Uh, I have a very close relationship because uh, my, my mother and her sister, who who just passed away last year, uh, my, my aunt, uh, they introduced me to this, and I was just a young, young Diego who was familiar with, like, Star Wars and, and all that jazz, and um, along with uh, the, uh, I, I believe I mentioned the Tribble, episode, Trouble with Tribbles episode was my introduction this that and wrath of khan like that was like it so I, i've always had a very close like affection for it and so this this last rewatch was very personal for me if i'm being honest and um the the themes of like aging in a world that maybe you don't really understand anymore uh the the the, the camaraderie between the crew and the, the friendship between kirk and spock and, and the mistakes a, a more adventurous rigorous kirk made in his youth um that stuff was all very moving uh this time and uh it's but my very first time watching it i just remember being taken away by the crew aspect you know i I had seen like star wars and i love star wars and i still love star wars to this day but the the crew aspect was something that i was like oh this is cool i haven't seen that before it it really was like uh my introduction to like the ensemble style of filmmaking you know like obviously it's kirk is the the leader of the enterprise and he's the focal point uh for the protagonists but it's star trek i think at its best is always about that that communal togetherness and overcoming the odds in that fashion you know 
and, and so stuff like the Kobayashi Maru is obviously like a great like antithesis to explore uh, what happens when you can't win and stuff like that just really punctuated my interest as a as a child and to this day that's probably one of the big reasons why I love Star Trek so much just because it still feels a little rare in genre filmmaking if I'm being honest and I don't know why that is yeah uh, I, you know, I mean, this is also uh, the movie for me, which really got got me into Star Trek. You know, I, I watched the first one, uh, like I, I think I said last week, I, I watched it um, because I was a Star Wars fan and I wanted to see the other star thing um, and I hated it. <laughs> and I was ready, even though my, my aunt lent me the first five movies, like all at once and said, yeah, yeah, go watch them all. And I couldn't wait to watch them all. After seeing that first one, I was just like, this is not for me. I'm done. <laughs> and it was later on that week, uh, it probably like six days later or something, because it was right before New Year's Eve, um, that my, my friend Matt came over and he's like, oh man, you've got all the Star Trek movies here. These movies movies are awesome. We should watch them. And I'm like, oh, no, no. I watched the first one and I'm not watching anymore. And he's like, no, 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 no. The first one is crap. You got to watch the second one, you know? And, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? And I watched it and, uh, you know, fell in love instantly and then became the biggest Star Trek fan in the world within the next month, you know? So so this really did sort of grab me as, as a kid and, and really also was my gateway into Star Trek and, and my, my love of Star Trek. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, though, that, like, this was kind of like all of our firsts in a sense, you know, and it was the director's first too, really, uh, you know, kind of getting into the history of this, you know, we established last week that Star Trek, the motion picture made a ton of money. So obviously they were going to make a sequel, but the thing is it was also really freaking expensive. So I think it was Michael Eisner who was the head of, of Paramount at that time. He's like, we need to find a make, way to make this cheap. And he brought in this guy, Harv Bennett, who was a television producer. He's the guy responsible. I think he created the mod squad and he's also uh, was like the lead producer on like the $6 million man and the bionic woman and stuff like that and he brought him in and he's like hey did you see the uh, star trek movie and harv bennett's like yeah i saw it and then he's like what'd you think and he's like i thought it was boring mm-hmm. and he's like could you make a movie for less than 40 million dollars or whatever the thing cost mm-hmm. and he's like i could make three movies for that much money and he's like okay then you go ahead and make star trek two you know <laughs> and for the longest time, I mean, it was like one of those things where they're like, "This we may just, depending on how this turns out, it, we may just put this on TV. You know, it was like, that was how much faith they had in this thing, right? And, you know, he watched all the episodes and tried to find, like, quintessential Trek, and they had, like, three scripts running around, and, like, one of them was the Genesis thing, and one of them was, you know, Spock dying, and one of them was Khan, and it was just all over the place. And, you know, that first time around, like we were saying, they were looking for a-list filmmakers, you know, Coppola, Spielberg, like that's who they were going after. This one, they're like, 
who can we get who's cheap, you know? <laughs> like, they went the Marvel route with this. And Nicholas Meyer had just made Time After Time, which was very well received and everything, really good. And he was, you know, his star was kind of on the rise. And they're like, hey, you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, sure. I've never seen Star Trek before, but why not, <laughs> you know? And and they hired him to, to direct... And it almost fell through because they didn't have a script, and they basically told him, like, you know, we it's 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 off because there's no script. And he's like, "Well, I'll write it." And they're like, "Well, we don't have enough money to pay you to write it." And he said, "Well, I'll write it, and you don't have to pay me, and then you'll you'll let me direct." And they're like, "Okay, fine, do it." So he took all those scripts and he manifested them into what we have here and even though he's not credited as the writer of the movie he was probably more deserving of a writing credit than anyone else who worked on the thing but here's the thing which is interesting about nicholas meyer he wasn't a star trek fan and because of that i think he was coming into it with fresh eyes he could see you know what it was that made this thing work without getting latched on to nostalgia or anything like that. But he also understood that fandom because he is a huge Sherlock Holmes nerd, so much so that he's written four Sherlock Holmes books. And he understands that fandom because he has that just for something that's not Star Trek. I just always found that to be super fascinating, but also really interesting that you can have like quintessential Star Trek coming from someone who knows nothing about the franchise going into it, you know? Yeah. Which is interesting because like, that's how I'd frame my love of this movie. (laughs) It's like, I am not attached to any of the nostalgia really. And this has a lot of what I consider to be, you know, the elements of Star Trek I love, all in one movie. So why it's I and and we'll we'll talk about this as the series continues. But I'm I'm never I'm not one to just you know uh, go beyond this and go watch like I don't know uh, the Next Generation or Picard or Enterprise or any other Star Trek like, or Star franchise. Trek three or for three. the longest I mean, time. <laughs> I I've only seen Star Trek three I think once in my life. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you know, it's it, because I don't know, because I am, I'm just like, this has all I need. I this uh, this has it's it, in its purest form. I can have this, and I'm satisfied. I don't need to go beyond this. So that's my take on it. Like uh, Nicholas Meyer, it makes complete sense that he wasn't a fan because he made a film that's basically uh, it, it. It's a film that does not, I don't think, necessarily cater to like the Star Trek fan more so than he just made a great movie. So that's what I love about it. He he did just make a great movie, but he also made, I think something that does cater to the fans. Like it is like, it feels like an episode of the original series, you know, it has all that stuff that, that makes Star Trek great. I mean, it, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that this is Star Trek's finest hour and it is the most Star Trek of anything. And yet, it took a non-fan to make that, you know. So I think there's a there's something to be said about that because you you say cater to the fans, and I agree with that. But I think ultimately, what what makes this film and the Nicholas Meyer's approach to it like have that direct through line to the to the heart of every fan that loves this film so much um, 
is because he was able, like you also said, like he distilled Star Trek into a cinematic form that I don't think anyone up to that point could have imagined like being possible or at least like hoped was possible, you know, uh, like he, he just told a great story and understood the heart of the characters and the universe of Star Trek and like the messages and the themes of Star Trek and what it means for these characters in particular, like Bones and Kirk and Spock. And, um, that's, that's an incredible feat, you know, like that's, it's, it's easy to see why people do not believe this has been topped yet as a Star Trek film. You know, it's still considered, I think, by many people to be the best one. And I, I don't disagree with that assessment because of that, you know? And up until not too, not too long ago, somebody tried to top it directly by remaking it and failed completely. But we'll talk about that later. We'll talk well, about we that. will talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but okay, but I, I, here's a question for you, Diego. Uh, last week, you said that Star Trek The Motion Picture may be the best of oh, yeah. the movies. And sounds like maybe maybe you're rethinking that now. I, but large I mean I'm curious as to, to to you know how that how that all plays out for you. But as part of a sort of a larger discussion, I guess um this movie is very different from the first one. I mean, the first one is very different from the others. It seems like they they found their their kind of model here and then decided to go with that for the rest of the series. But, um, it, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that, that could be. One, because it didn't work. You know, two, because of the people involved. But um, I guess, what do you guys think about the differences between these? And uh, I'll just throw this out as sort of a whatever – Gene Roddenberry was a driving force behind the first movie and basically they kicked him off starting with this one. And he was, you know, a quote unquote executive consultant where basically after they wrote a script or something, they'd give it to him and he'd be like, you guys fucking suck. And they'd be like, well, too bad. You don't have any power. And then, you know, that, that's kind of just how it all went down from here on out. But uh, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think about that? The way that the, the shift in tone and story and everything compared to the motion picture. I think the motion picture is still the most like the original series films, hmm. I mean, uh, original series, like for the films, I think it is the one that's most like the original series, excuse me. But Wrath of Khan is a, a much better film. And I think that, the drastic, like, you're right, everything about this is radically different from the first film, and Star Trek is the exact kind of franchise where you can do that. Because of its episodic nature, because of, like, the dynamic uh, durability of the characters and the stories that they can inhabit, you could have made, like, a Star Trek horror comedy, and it could work, because the characters and the, the ideas behind them are so sound. You know, it's kind of like uh, the nice guys... Like, those characters in that film, The Nice Guys, are so well-defined. For a sequel, you could have them face off against the Predator, and it'd be like, yeah, that seems about right. You know? Like, it's ridiculous, but the characters are sound, and when they're sound, you can do basically anything. So I I, I think this was the best way to go about it. And honestly, I, I wish the series had continued exploring um, different avenues of uh, of films. They, they do once in a while, but um, I, I think... Wrath of Khan has a little bit of a, 
I have a little bit of gripes with it the same way I do like the dark Knight, where it's like, yeah, that's a great film. Stop trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that, that is certainly something which, which became uh, what a lot of people consider to be a problem with future uh, Star Trek movies is that, you know, with wrath of Khan being the gold standard, everyone was like, well, I want to do Wrath of Khan. And what that means to them is like a vengeful villain, you know? And it's like, you don't really get that much on the original series or anything, you know? I mean, it's rare, but, you know, for the movie landscape or whatever, it's got to be action, it's got to be, you know, good versus evil, and, you know, that manifests itself as a Khan-like villain. But they're just setting themselves up for failure when they do that because you're just going to compare them to Khan, you know? Yeah, and what what I think works uh, the best in this movie, comparing it to the motion picture, uh, the first one, uh, and how we talked about how, how that had little to no... had some character de- development, but here, I mean, it starts off... Like, the first 30 minutes are just a lot of just, like, sitting down and just talking. Like it's it's yeah. Captain Kirk's birthday, and he gets like a present from like he gets presents from Bones, and they have like a, a nice discussion about you know Kirk being an 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 artifact in in like Kirk's collection if he just you know is, is like not doing anything and trying to find a purpose. Then once the plot goes, like there's another quiet moment where Spock talks to Kirk about uh, Kirk uh, taking over the ship at a crucial moment, and that's a great scene. So it, it's these, it's in these quiet moments that I don't think the motion picture had a lot of that is a reason why I love this movie. And it's maybe a reason why imitators from here on out just can't exactly replicate it because I think Myers understands these characters in this situation more than most because, yeah, I mean, you have to have this through line of these characters going through like their own inner struggles, like Kirk going through his struggle of like aging and like finding himself, you know, uh, at a loss, finding his purpose in life uh, that's an amazing through line. And, you know, it, after this, people may just go, oh, just let's just insert action. Let's just insert, you know, uh, you know, uh, a vengeful villain. Let's put some death in it. Let's, let's kill a character at the end. They don't get the essential core of the movie that I think, you know, is why I, th- I think this is one of the best of all time. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing Meyer talk about some of the later installments of the franchise, you know, like Into Darkness and stuff like that, or 09, you know, and everything, because Meyer, he's at a point where he just doesn't give a fuck, you know, he'll say whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's the, he's the person who revealed that Michelle Yeoh was going to be on, you know, Discovery, because... They're like someone asked him, like, "Who's going to be on the show?" And he's like, "I'm not. I don't know. I, Michelle, I hear they cast Michelle Yeoh. That's pretty cool, you know." And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Well, you, you you go Nicholas Meyer, but um, you know, people of course have asked him about the JJ movies and everything, and he's like, I, I get it, you know, I, I get what they're doing, but that's just not my thing, you know. I just don't. There's a lot of running and a lot of punching, and I don't, I don't get it. Like, why is why is Spock?" punching people it doesn't doesn't make any sense to me you know so i mean it's kind of kind of cool to hear him say that uh, there is somewhere out there there is an audio commentary for star trek nemesis which was recorded by nicholas meyer and larry nemechek and apparently after it was recorded 
it was going to be on the Blu-ray for Nemesis. After it was recorded, Meyer was like, why, why, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why I'm talking about this movie. <laughs> and he had them shelve it. But, oh, my God, there is nothing in life that I want more than to hear Nicholas Meyer do a commentary for Star Trek Nemesis. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and why was he on it? Just, just I guess they for for the Blu-rays for all the movies they did quote unquote fan commentaries. So they had okay. like one commentary with the director and then ones with fans. And some of them are really cool. Like Iris Stephen Bear, the creator of well, not the creator, but the showrunner of Deep Space Nine, he did one with Larry Nemechek for Star Trek Six. You know, you've got like. Kurtzman and Orsi doing one for Star Trek four. And this was like right before Oh nine came out. Mm -hmm. And the whole time that they're watching it, you can tell they're just like, well, you see how they do the time travel here. I mean, that's like, that's what we're doing. Right. Right. I mean, so, so no, we're okay. We're okay, guys. You know, I mean, they're great. I mean, a lot of them are, are really fun and everything. And, uh, I would have loved to have hear, heard that one, but it just wasn't meant to be. What can you do? So yeah, Maybe for the 75th anniversary of Star Trek, it'll come out. There you go. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't fuck that one up, Paramount. He, he did actually, I mean, like talking about like the motion picture Wrath of Khan relationship, um, for Day the Earth Stood Still, when that came out on Blu-ray, they did a commentary with Robert Wise, and he was interviewed by Nicholas Meyer. Not uh, because, I mean, like, I'm guessing neither of them even knew that the other one had made a Star Trek movie. <laughs> but, you know, it was just because Nicholas Meyer was a huge fan of Day the Earth Stood Still. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's cool, you know? I don't know. Whatever. No, yeah, I, I like when that happens. Like when David Fincher is on the Chinatown commentary yeah. uh, with, um, who was the, who's the writer? Robert Town? Robert yeah, Townsend? Robert Town. Yeah, Robert yeah. Towns. Um, and that, and now they're working together on something. I just I read that a few weeks ago. Right, that's happening. Oh, that's um, cool. But anyway, but yeah, I, Did, I are they doing Mank together? Is that it? No, I, it's, it's no. like another Netflix project. I forget what it is. Wait, isn't it? Oh fuck! Of oh. course. <laughs> Uh, Mike, feel free to cut this out. But I'm like, uh, are they doing like a Chinatown spinoff or some shit? I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's they are. Right. They're doing like yes, a TV yes. show. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I have that Blu-ray. I haven't listened to that commentary yet with Fincher and Townsend on it. But I'm like, oh, now I got to listen to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I, I, sorry, I sounded bitter right there. I just, I just want to see David Fincher on the big screen again. That's all. That's all. His yeah. Netflix work is terrific. Obviously. You know, when when I was in L.A., um, we went to Westwood because we wanted to see the Bruin from, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we wanted to see the, uh, what's, what's it called? The Fox, whatever it was, the one across the street from the Bruin. Oh, the Westwood. Mm -hmm. The Westwood. And, um, you know, we were like, oh, yeah, Bad Boys for Life and THX Ultimate Cinema. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> and we go there and there's all these people walking around outside with like 40s clothing on and stuff <laughs> at like a, you know, catering table and everything. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, and they were shooting Mank, as it turns oh, out. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So oh, anyway. God. I hope I get to see that in a theater in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hope yeah. I get to see a movie in the theater in the winter. <laughs> yes. I don't care which Aww. one. <laughs> Something, for God's sakes. So, so this movie, it was a success. I mean, it's kind of weird to think about now because everything is different and everything is skewed. But, like, at the time, apparently, it was the biggest 
opening weekend in movie history. That's insane to think about. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, right. And I mean, I think it was quickly surpassed by like E.T. and stuff like that. You, you know, I mean. Oh but, yeah, because that year that was '82, right? That was yeah. Yep. E.T. Uh, this uh, just uh, well, also we not the, not the thing. Blade yeah, Runner. not those. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, I think all those were in a the theater in the same month. So it was yeah. an insane year. And, and I mean, you know, I mean, talking about Spielberg and stuff, like I, I get it, like. I've seen Jaws a billion times. I have never once bothered to watch Jaws two, right? So <laughs> it, it it makes sense uh, that that you wouldn't watch Star Trek three, oh, especially yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Considering, I mean, like, here's the thing, right? What's the big thing? We haven't even talked about it yet, but Spock dies. Yeah, this, this mm-hmm. is this is something I want to hear commentary on, Mike, because <laughs> I think you may know more than me. Obviously, you do. Uh, that's not an assumption you do but i i did read or may have seen like a behind the scenes thing where it was leaked beforehand like there's somebody got a hold of the script or something um people found out early that spock was going to die and people yeah. were outraged um and i i don't know if this was the case but like um when the movie opened and then when people were watching it um there's that scene early in the movie where you know spock you know, quote unquote dies in that simulation. Mm-hmm. Now, am I, am I crazy to think that like they may, they may have added that in just to throw people off or, or was that already like, you know, was that in there to begin with? Cause it's, it's a, it's a crazy inside, you know, nod to, you know, those spoilers that came out that, Oh, people were expecting Spock to die. Why not have Spock die in like the first five minutes, but not really. And then Kirk later makes a joke. He's like, Oh, aren't you dead? And then yeah. Spock makes like a, he just kind of, he doesn't wink at the camera, but he just kind of has like a nod, like a knowing nod. So that's super strange, especially nowadays where, you know, a spoiler like that can like, uh, what well, doesn't happen that often, especially with like Marvel, like, you know, being so secure and like trying to, you know, try to like, unless you're, fucking bad robot apparently (laughs) so whatever i I always found that interesting mike that behind the scenes thing like uh people knew beforehand that spike was going to die apparently uh before watching wrath of khan they definitely knew and i have a feeling like because i mean i i have heard that too i think it was meyer who said that they put that in and i think it's one of those things where word that spock was going to die got out probably before they even finished writing the script you know oh wow so so and they were getting i mean people were outraged like people were you know nicholas meyer i think said you know he got death threats saying like if spock dies you die you know things like that (laughs) like it it, it was crazy something's never changed (laughs) yes uh, but you know so i think so they stuck that in there i think not because they thought they were gonna trick anyone but just because they thought like we put this in at the beginning, we get it out of the way, you know, and then it's just sort of like a, a release valve in a sense, you know, like everyone's waiting for it. And then you give it to them, you know, very first thing. And then you're like, oh, oh he died. And then you, you move on with your life. I mean, the same thing happened with generations, you know, and I mean, everybody knew that Kirk was going to die in generations. I knew, I knew every single plot point in that freaking movie before I went in to see it. That's just the way it was. I mean, the thing that I always 
point back to because I have it somewhere in my apartment is there's a, a magazine article where they do a set visit for Batman Forever, which was released like a year before the movie came out, where on set they interview Joel Schumacher and he literally ruins the end of the movie. Like, because he doesn't care. I mean, that's just the way that it was. I mean, nobody cared about spoilers. So, yeah, I mean, that was certainly a thing. And, I mean, the reason why they killed him, I mean, Leonard Nimoy was trying to get out of this freaking franchise for years, you know? Like, he he did the animated series, and then they were going to do, you know, the, the show on on you know, the Paramount Network, and he's like, no, I'm not coming back for that. And then they made it into a movie, and he's like, okay, fine, I'll come back for a movie. And then they asked him to come back for this, and he's like, okay, fine, I'll come back, but only if you kill me so I don't have to come back again, you know? And it was during the making of the movie where he was like, you know... I wouldn't be opposed to coming back again, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, which, 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 which is something I was wondering, too, because they leave it open, obviously, for us, yeah. for him coming back with, like, him doing, like, the, you know, remember this to but to Bones right before um, he, he goes into the thing he goes into. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense because, like, they're, they're obviously, you know, paving the way for the third one. But but that wasn't in there originally. And I, I think that that was... I'm not sure about the, the insert where he says, remember, I'm thinking that's that had to have been like a, a, a reshoot or, or an additional shoot. But like the, the thing where you see his, his torpedo like in the, the bushes or whatever, you know, that was definitely added after the fact because um, it was one of those things where like as they were gearing up and they realized what they had i mean and and the thing is like everyone always thinks that the next star trek movie is going to be the last one right like they thought like this will be the end of the franchise for some reason i don't know why but as they were you know making it they were like we we've got something here this is really good and you know we don't want to necessarily say goodbye to spock if we don't have to so let's stick this stuff in and Meyer was like, fuck no, this is a bunch of bullshit. I'm making a movie about this guy dying. The whole, you know, thing hinges on his sacrifice. And then we're going to say, like, but he might not really be dead. He's like, fuck you. Fuck this bullshit. If you want to do that, you have to do that on your own. I'm not going to be involved with that. And he didn't direct that stuff. Someone else directed it. And oh, they wow. stuck it in the movie. And he says now, he's like, eh, whatever, it's fine. And and even after that, like, you know, they asked him, like, you want to come back for Star Trek 3? And he's like, this is going to be about Spock coming back to life? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, no, I can't do that. This reincarnation <laughs> stuff is a bunch of bullshit. I don't believe in it. I cannot make a movie about that. But 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 even with that, like he still maintained a relationship with them. Like as Harv Bennett was writing the script for Star Trek three, he would send it to Nicholas Meyer to get notes, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not like he burned the bridge or anything like that. Obviously, since he came back later on in the franchise, but he was just like, I can't be involved with this stupid story that you guys are going to be telling for the third movie. See, so <laughs> yeah. And, and as I try to answer this question of why I'm content with just, Maybe in my head canon, Spock died. He didn't, you know, it's it's a good ending. I don't need to go yeah. any further. Because, I don't know, because it just feels so right. And it, I don't, 
of course I've seen Star Trek three, um, and I don't remember it being amazing or anything. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a decent you know it's a good movie from what I remember, but I just don't have that urge where. I don't know it, it, it to me this movie is a solid it has a solid beginning middle end and that end is just so beautiful that to me I don't need to go on any further and it's yeah I mean I know he comes back but I still I'm I'm with Meyer on this like it, it has that that uh that theme play through about Kirk confronting you know what he has to do in life and 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 doing what his friend told him to do is like you know uh, be in charge of the you know of the uh of the enterprise so and that that final moment is beautiful even though Myers didn't shoot it but I'm okay with just ending it there <laughs> so yeah yeah so so now okay I, I have this question for Diego because Marcelo's experience is much different from mine in terms of you know viewing this on its own without Star Trek three. So Diego, like how soon after seeing this one, did you see Star Trek three? Like how long did you have to live with Spock being dead? And did that, um, color your perception of this movie? I had found out that Spock lived because my mom and aunt were like, oh, yeah, and the next one's a search for Spock. And, like, they're telling me, like, the next one is is the adventure to, like, revive him and stuff like that. And I was like, really? Like, wide-eyed and excited? You know, because I, I don't I, – I spent, like, two and a half hours with these people, maybe three hours total with these characters, but I was already, like, fawning over them and, like – couldn't wait to see more of them. So I was like, whoa, anything's possible here. <laughs> and um, so for young Diego, that didn't even like register as like, a, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I was just like, more? <laughs> so, um, but as I've gotten older, I it is something I have mixed feelings about. Because Wrath of Khan is such like a potent standalone film on its own. And I think that's both the brilliance and the bane of its existence that it does in many ways register as like the, the final Star Trek journey. You know, I mean, there's the subplot in the film is about the, the cadets and, or whatever, like, and, and Kirk having to recognize his, um, his time with Starfleet and, and, uh, this, this thing that's haunting him from his past with, with Khan and the, the mistake he made of like forgetting about a human being's existence and, essentially almost committing like a genocide. Like, I mean, not that Khan and his people were like saints, obviously they were also genocidal super people, um, which are bad because genocide is never good. Let's just make that clear. Yeah. Um, you're, but, you're, what, what, you're, you're on the record, Diego of saying genocide <laughs> is bad. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, but, but Kirk did, did fuck up, like fucks up real bad. Like, like so bad. Um, that it, it does feel like everything that came after, for the most part, I will say, is like a, a good Star Trek adventure. Quality aside, because there's some stuff to debate on individual films, as we will discuss, uh, the adventures themselves, the stories they, they tell are nothing but good ideas. I don't think there's anything that breaks anything in terms of like... Uh, the, the, the love I have for the series. But there's just no way to do better than this one, I think. So that is a bummer for me. But it's also like... Uh, it's, Star Trek is is the is about the... 
the, the human adventure, you know? And so the fact that there is more quality aside is, uh, is still a nice feeling I have. So it's, it's something I, I will always have mixed feelings about for yeah. sure. And here's something I can compare it to this, this, this be kind of like a lame comparison, but this almost feels like a, a season finale of a of a of a show. I mean, it's Star Trek for God's sakes. Yeah. So, and I'm like, yeah, I know he comes back. I know this goes on for decades. The story of these characters, but this moment in time here, it's perfect. So I know eventually he comes back, sure, but I'm content with just watching this this episode. So yeah. I mean, yeah, that's how I feel. And I cannot tell you, I cannot remember for you know the life of me how he comes back, <laughs> Spock. <laughs> I, I think uh, if I were to guess, it's like was Bones has like Spock's soul in his brain or some shit. Or, I don't know. This uh, we'll, we'll find out in the next episode. But yeah, I know he comes back. I, I just don't remember exactly how. Yeah, I, for me, I mean, I, I'm kind of with Diego where. You know, like when when my aunt handed me all those tapes, you know, I could see that, you know, the third one was called Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And, and certainly, I mean, she probably gave me breakdowns of the entire plots of each just because, you know, whatever, who cares? And and, um, and you know, after watching Wrath of Khan with, with my friend Matt, of course, immediately we were like, well, now we should just put on number three, right? Because that was amazing, right? You know, <laughs> and we watched two, three, and four back to back to back. So I had literally, you know, like two minutes to live with the idea of Spock being dead before putting on the movie where he comes back to life. And because of that, that's really colored my perception of his death and, and what Star Trek three is for years and um it wasn't until talking about it with with some other people that i my 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 opinion of star trek 3 changed quite a bit but we'll get into that next week too so (laughs) Uh, well another thing i just thought of it's like uh, i mean mike do you consider this like because here i'll just say flat out i don't consider this sort of like a star wars scenario where to me and it does obviously i mean from two to three there's a story and from what i remember yeah there's four and five there's like a kind of like a story going on there that that connects right yeah um but to me the way i see the star trek movies to me they're not that to me they're more standalone like i can jump well mostly just wrath of con wrath of con wrath of con and then like i can just watch <laughs> like uh, the fifth one by itself and not be too hindered by what happened before or after so i'm gonna hold you to that i'm very <laughs> curious if that's actually true no no comment on my feelings about that film um, but if you really go like two to wrath of con wrath of con wrath of con and then i'm feeling star trek five I'm gonna put in five you yeah, know whatever um yeah if that's true i will <laughs> a standing ovation the 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 gusto you have but, but okay but all joking aside, but to me that comparison is like kind of like the Mission Impossible movies, where they're more uh, episodic, they're more standalone. But I mean, I'll, I'll ask you, Mike, like, do you consider them more the franchise like all connected route, like epi- like like the Star Wars sort of? Oh, Episode One, Two, Three. You know, I kind of have to see this this this. The, there has to be this tie between all of them. Like, does does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and and I, I agree with you. It drives me absolutely up the wall, whether it's marketing or fans or whatever. People always talk about the Star Trek trilogy of two, three, and four, and it's like 
those movies are not a trilogy. There's one movie, and then there's a second movie, which is trying to basically undo everything that happened in the first movie. And then there's a third movie, which takes place right after that second movie ended. And it's like, that's not a trilogy, you know? That's just three movies that, you know, kind of pick up where the last one left off. But it's much more of a yes and scenario than some sort. I mean, it's really, it's the way that they did um, the new Star Wars trilogy, you know? I mean, like even to the point where they had the original guy come back to write the the last part of the trilogy. But, um, and yeah, so... In, in, In that way, Star Wars became Star Trek. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. Yeah. Well, yeah. But this is like if uh, I, I'm gonna. Sorry if I like totally just give away my stuff. But this this would be like if Star Trek one and two were like great, and then Star Trek three was given to like a child with crayons, and they wrote the <laughs> script in that. Wait, Dago, are you telling me you don't like uh, the Rise of Skywalker? What? You know what? I actually don't hate it though. I, I'm just they they dropped the ball so hard. <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's like no coming back from that. I, I sincerely like when I said Star Wars as like a franchise, I in my head clearly meant, you know, uh, a new hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. And Phantom Menace. And Phantom Menace, and Phantom Menace through Revenge of the Sith. Like that Oh my god. Sorry to like go further down the rabbit hole because I know we're already going a little long, but like Phantom Menace is more like I what I feel people feel about Star Trek the motion picture. I honestly feel what what people feel about the motion picture for Phantom Menace? That's kind of insane to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. About that. <laughs> you've, just, um, you've just lost me yeah. and yeah, and Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, you know what, what's interesting, and I'll I'll mention this. Sure, this I think this movie is better than the motion picture. But what I give the motion picture a lot of credit for is how, like, not necessarily surreal, but like just very atmospheric like yeah like like we talked about last episode and you kind of miss it here i I do miss it a little bit here in wrath of khan uh that sort of like epic scope you do have like tiny glimpses of it but i don't know motion i mean cutting to the chase motion picture is like something special um i'm just trying to wrap my head around that fact though Diggle, you're connecting motion picture to phantom menace so i mean i can see it i can see what you mean in terms of like reaction to it like Oh, people, you know, hate on that first movie, but in reality, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. But I think, like, in terms of, like, content, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you know. And, and I mean, I'll go so far as to say that I think Phantom Menace is better than the motion picture. But Phantom Menace, like, I think the the problem with it is that it, it, that people have with it is that it's very much a kid's movie. And, you know, they have trouble seeing it as that. And with motion picture is very much this sort of philosophical, abstract, um, I don't know, mind puzzle. And people are trying to to fit it into the, you know, sci-fi adventure box, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like how mm -hmm. people try to put Phantom Menace into, you know, the quote unquote typical Star Wars box. And George Lucas was like, no. I'm going to do something else, you know, Phantom Menace. Maybe not dumb it down, but, you know, um, make it very basic, but very epic in his own special way. So, yeah. yeah. 
So is, no. this, this is a Star Wars podcast now, right? Yeah, that's fine. No, that's no. Wrath of Khan. Ricardo Montalban, also great. There you is go. That, track. Is that chest fake, Mike? No, it's not. In fact, you know, I mean, you know, they, they've talked about how, how not fake it is. But uh, although I think like Meyer's like, I don't know, you tell me, you know, like one of those things. But like I was just watching it yesterday in 4K and everything. And you can totally see like his skin, like ripple and stuff. It's like if that's a fake chest, that is the best makeup ever in the history of, of, of cinema. That chest is not <laughs> fake. It's not. You know, yeah, I because I, I I don't remember where I landed on it while I was watching it last. I'm like, wait a second. I well, I guess I was just confused. Like, is it fake or not? I can't remember if it was or not. But it makes complete sense that it's not. It's just he just shaved it, and it's just yeah. he's very smooth there. And uh, I'm curious to see to 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 find out, Mike, how you saw it in 4K because I have the Blu-ray, and I was oh. trying to maybe find like a um a 4K version of it somewhere, but uh, iTunes. It's on iTunes in 4K? Yeah, iTunes in okay. 4K HDR. And, and uh, Meyer, he even went on Facebook and he's like, uh, so I went, I went to, the, to, the, to the laboratory and they showed me Wrath of Khan in 4K HDR. And let me tell you, I don't know anything about this 4K HDR bullshit, but <laughs> this is by far the best this movie has ever looked and like they're telling me it was all there in the film to begin with and you just couldn't see it this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen in my life and <laughs> i have to agree with them it, it's pretty pretty amazing so yeah it looks like i have to buy wrath of khan again so. <laughs> yep <laughs> definitely yeah that that chest that glistening chest in 4k just, yeah just to see that chest in 4k that's the only reason i'm buying it again <laughs> Yep. And they, they did. I mean, this, I guess this is the other thing that we didn't talk about is the director's cut. Yes. Um, did you guys watch the director's cut or the non-director's cut? Or do you even know? <laughs> I, no, I, I did not watch the director's cut. I okay. for sure watched the director's cut. Okay, I did too. Um, it's unlike motion picture. This is not like some sort of amazing, you know, whatever. There were basically just a couple lines of dialogue which were trimmed for reasons which I don't understand, to be honest. I mean, one, I think the stuff with Scotty's nephew, I think they were just like, this guy's a really bad actor. You know, we can't have this in the movie. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, the rest of it, I, I don't understand why they trimmed that stuff. But um, they actually put it back in originally for when it aired on TV for the first time on ABC or something like that they put it back in there um, but then it disappeared until the DVD came out um, the second DVD came out and then they let Meyer put that stuff back in and um, the one little weird interesting anomaly is that with the 4K version there is a line of dialogue which is missing now and I don't know why it seems to be an intentional choice but there's one shot where like, you know, in the big climax of the movie, they're like climbing up like a, a ladder or something like that. There's like an overhead shot and it's Kirk and Spock and Kirk's like, that guy over there is my son. And then Spock's like, fascinating. And then that's it. And it's like a nice little beat, but they left the shot in. There's there's just no dialogue. So now it's like, well, why are we watching them climb up the, this ladder? You know, I, I don't understand why they took that out. I don't understand why they left the shot in. It's, it's bizarre, but that's the one weird 
difference in the the 4k version interesting yeah and i just looked it up now for those interested on itunes the director's cut is in 4k but the theatrical cut is in hd so there you go yeah and and that transfer on the theatrical cut is really pretty terrible it's got this greenish hue to it and um yeah it it looks bad so oh no yeah Yeah. but uh, i'll say um the the blu-ray because like they released the the Blu-ray of the director's cut, um, a new issue of it like for the 50th anniversary, and that's what I have, and that's that's a really good looking Blu-ray. If yeah, that's interested. the same that's the same transfer that they used for the 4K. You know, that was just before 4K was a thing, I think. So yeah, so that is essentially the same transfer. So yeah, yeah, yeah it looked great on my TV, uh, just the yeah. Blu-ray itself. So yeah, yeah. And also, the 4K director's cut is available for uh, theatrical screenings. Now we need some movie theaters, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, by this, oh, by the time this comes out, there'll be th- the theaters will be open, and we'll all be watching Star Trek the- uh, movies in theaters somehow. Let's hope so. Oh, I'll yeah. be petitioning. <laughs> all right. So, um, should we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I feel like we've. Yes. I feel like we've we've talked. We've talked for an hour about this movie, but we haven't yeah. touched. I could talk for another hour about. Star I know. Trek. I, yeah, I. Uh, I, I, I don't think. I was, was going to say <laughs> I don't we, know about we, that. we could talk a lot, a lot more about this movie, but yeah, we should end it anyway because this is a great movie. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we're all in agreement of that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and next week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and I'm very excited about the episode which we are pairing this with which is a an episode of Star Trek Short Treks season 2 episode 4 i believe and it is called Ephraim and Dot and i'm not going to say anything more about it I, you guys are just going to have to watch it um but i can't wait until you guys see it and but, where can me and Diego and our listeners find it, Mike. Where is it available? You can find it on CBS All Access. Definitely check it out. But unlike these last two episodes, wait and watch it after you watch the movie. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. All right. So, Diego, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on the internet at twitter.com slash the Diego Crespo and the Waffle Press uh, podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes. Uh, if you do check us out on YouTube, just subscribe and listen, um, like on Spotify, like just, just subscribe. YouTube is really effing me in the B lately. So I just need the subscribers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. Uh, Marcelo, where can people find you on the internet? Talkfilmsociety.com. Uh, go there, read our stuff, listen to our stuff, love our stuff. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash talk from society for bonus episodes and bonus series. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it. Okay. And you can find me, uh, on Twitter and letterboxd at mumbles three K. And you can also find me on filmdamagepod.com doing a, a show called film damage where we talk about film projection. So, I guess that's it. Are we going to try our uh, our our catchphrase at the end here? See if we can we can nail that one down. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I already forgot it. <laughs> okay, it's it's it's. I have had enough of you. Right? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got, I got All it. right. <laughs>
Ready? Oh, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like, I, I'm down to keep that one, but for this one, I think, I think we have to do something different. Okay. What should we do? Con? I think we have to do, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's do that. How do you guys feel about that? Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Con! 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 